Welcome to the Piano Whisperer Podcast. I was going to play Schubert's Fantasy in F minor in Portugal, but my partner had to drop out at the very last minute. And of course, I was crushed. I was so looking forward to performing this piece. Mm-hmm. And Paul Bedore Skoda happened to be there, and he offered to step in. So uh, That is so cool. Yes, it was. It was incredibly fortunate, and it remains one of the most memorable moments of my life, for sure. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of the Piano Whisperer podcast. Before we begin, I want to acknowledge the inexcusable lapse since our last episode. Between scheduling difficulties with other artists and an extraordinarily busy life myself, combined with my general ineptitude at self-marketing, I have allowed way too much time to pass, and I apologize for that. So please forgive me. That said, I am absolutely thrilled to break the radio silence with today's guest, concert pianist, recording artist, and entrepreneur, Haley Miles. Haley prides herself on maintaining an international performance schedule. Haley's appearances have included recitals in France, Germany, Austria, Italy, Switzerland, Portugal, the United Kingdom, and the United States, as well as radio appearances on programs in Europe and North America. She is a laureate of seven international competitions. Haley Miles holds certifications from distinguished institutions, including the Mozarteum in Austria, Imola Piano Academy in Italy, Freiburg International Piano Academy in Germany. Remarkably, she has already performed the complete two- and three-part inventions by Bach. In 2021, she started the Chopin Nocturne Project, which involves releasing a new nocturne each Friday. She achieved a bachelor in piano performance at the University of Arkansas in 2016, where she was a recipient of the Stella Boyle Smith Scholarship. Haley also holds a master in piano performance with first-class honors from the London College of Music, where she received the Mona Blackman Scholarship. In 2019, Haley received a postgraduate diploma from Trinity Laban Conservatoire as a Cross Funds Scholar. She is most proud of her extracurricular activities involving continued work with individuals on the autism spectrum. Having authored a United Nations honored book dedicated to helping children with autism, the cause remains a constant passion visible in her everyday life. Haley also holds a fellowship diploma of the London College of Music, the highest level diploma one can receive in performance. She is an artist with talent unlimited, an organization that offers support to young musicians. She was named a Young Steinway artist in 2018. In 2022, Haley released the first installment of her Marketing for Musicians course. Consisting of a 20-page worksheet and exclusive video, Haley covers all the essential marketing materials that will help you shine and stand out as a professional musician. From writing a captivating biography, creating a website, crafting a portfolio, and more, the advice shared in this course has led Haley to booking concert tours and creating a vibrant and happy career as a classical pianist. Haley Miles, welcome. Thank you so, so much, Ben, for that beautiful introduction. I'm delighted to be here with you. Yeah, it's so funny. Everybody loves the introductions. They're like, yeah, wow. Wow, I did all of those things. How about that? Yeah, isn't that cool? I have read several interviews in which you have provided the short story of how you came to play, but I want to know the long story. 
So please tell us about the home in which you grew up, the extent to which you were exposed to music in your early years, what brought you to Spain, your resolve to play professionally, and how you met your first teacher. You're such a unique person. I want to have a sense of your early making. Thank you. Yes, of course. I grew up in Kansas City, actually just outside of Kansas City, and we had a grand piano in the house, although Hmm. neither of my parents really played. They would noodle on it from time to time, and they knew how to read the treble clef. But despite that, they had a love for classical music, Hmm. and they started taking me to the symphony when I was a little girl. And the first instrument that I fell in love with happened to be the cello. Hmm. I started to play the cello when I was four years old. Oh, wow. Yes. Well, you say, oh, wow, but it only lasted for a few months as my hands were too small and too weak to hold down the strings. Yeah, it seemed a little ambitious there, but it's a beautiful instrument also. Cello is beautiful. It is. I understand why I fell in love with it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't the right time in my life. I had to let it go. And I didn't return to music until I was 15. Wow. Which I realize is considered quite late in the classical music world. That's something that I'm hoping I can break the stereotype a little bit. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Sure. When I was 15, I moved from the United States to Spain, and I found the transition to be really difficult. So why did you move to Spain? Tell us about that. So this was a decision of my own making. I had a dream as a little girl to move to Europe. I had traveled to Europe. Mm very often. And I settled on Spain because I thought that Spanish would be an easier language to learn than, let's say, German. Mm -hmm. And I think I was right. But I moved there alone and stayed with the host family. Mm -hmm. And I lived across the street from a library. The library had an upright piano. I was drawn to it. And thankfully, I found a very supportive piano teacher in the same town I lived in. And he showed me classical music. He introduced me to Chopin. And it was in that moment, in that year that I decided, okay, despite this late start, I'm going to become a classical pianist. Okay. Now there's so much in that. And you're kind of abridging this version that I want to do the unabridged. So you're drawn by this piano. Like what was it about the piano? You're sitting there in the library, you don't play. So how did the piano draw you? I think I heard somebody play it one day Uh, and I liked the library because I felt like I didn't really fit in and I wanted some time and space to myself. So mm -hmm. I think that those are two reasons. So did you just start like planking around on it or was it? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It was in a separate room far away from other people. So I was allowed to do that. Yeah. But you must've been able to create on some level, right? And, And you must've seen some potential for more. I do know that I really enjoyed it and it brought me a feeling of comfort. I wanted to pursue that. And then how did you find your teacher? Just walked around to different stores in the town. It was a town of 300 people, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Exactly. And there happened to be a piano teacher in this town of 300 people. I was incredibly lucky. And so he exposed you to Chopin and we're going to play the piece that inspired you ultimately to play. So how did you go from point A here I am in Spain of my own making. I want to live in Europe. I want to become a classical pianist professionally. How did you make that decision? And then once you did make that decision, what did life look like for you? How many hours a day were you practicing? And what did your early practice routine look like? And did life in Spain change for you once you got that passion? Okay. I was honestly quite naive when I said that I wanted to become a classical pianist because I didn't 
even know what a scale was, which is incredible. But I was very determined. And after I moved back to the United States from Spain, I found a local teacher who had got her master's at Juilliard. So obviously she was very, very good. Uh, She was a tough teacher. I remember that this teacher said, you know, there's not a good chance you're going to make it as a professional, but I'm never going to say no. And I'm going to do everything that I can for you. And she did. She taught me all of the basics. So of course, things from Journey, which admittedly was not very fun because I went from playing Chopin probably quite poorly to playing Journey, but it was a necessary transition. I even, this doesn't sound quite right, but I dropped out of my last year of high school in order to maintain a practice schedule. At the time, I was practicing anywhere between four to six hours a day. And I finished my classes at a community college because I was so focused on getting into a university, mm-hmm. which thankfully I did. Yeah. And you went to the university as a music student, right? Absolutely. That's pretty cool. So that was like three years of pushing it, basically. Yes, and I got a Fulbright scholarship. I felt so incredibly blessed. I was studying with Yura Margulis, who now is based in Vienna. So now you mentioned to me in an email that we can still find success in music as late starters. And so I sense you feel pretty passionately about that. Can you elaborate a little further on that? First, I want to say that there isn't one definition of success, as cliche as that sounds, yep. because something that gives me satisfaction may not necessarily give you the same feeling. And that's also something we need to think about when we're on social media, for example. Some people are really drawn to a career as a solo performer, which is great, but I want people to know that this isn't the only way. Right. I've done a lot of work as a collaborative pianist. I find that to be very fulfilling to share a stage with like-minded musicians. I also do a lot of recordings and I collaborate with composers. So I want to say that the options are limitless and it's up to you to define success. Yeah. So I'm in the piano business, the piano retail business, and people talk about wanting their kids to win all these competitions. And I say, hey, the goal here is to create a lifelong piano player. That's the goal. Our goal is to inspire people to play and to play forever. And sometimes when you get the wrong motive, that chokes it and it doesn't go on. And so I get that. I just wanted to vet that a little bit further. Now, somehow you met your mentor, Paul Badura-Skoda. Please tell us how that came about. But before you do, I, I want to give our listeners a bit of a backdrop here. Paul Badura-Skoda was an amazingly accomplished and celebrated pianist. He won the Austrian music competition in 1947, and he definitely was one of the greats of his time, one of the three Viennese Troika. So how did this relationship come about? Long story short, um, I was studying in Freiburg, Germany, and he was giving a recital mm-hmm. in the city. He was playing Schubert. And of course, I was the one who bought a bouquet of flowers, and I was the first one to see him backstage. And he could see how enthusiastic I was mm-hmm. about his playing. And he was so touched, he gave me his address and encouraged me to write him. Wow. Yes, absolutely crazy. And that started this correspondence. Uh, we exchanged dozens of letters and over the course of several years, of course. And this resulted in private lessons. I even had the opportunity to perform with him quite by chance. Yeah, tell us about that too. I was going to play Schubert's Fantasy in F minor in Portugal, but my partner had to drop out at the very last minute. And of course, I was crushed. I was so looking forward to performing this piece. 
Mm-hmm. And Paul Bedoroskota happened to be there and he offered to step in. So uh, that is so cool. Yes, it was. It was incredibly fortunate and it remains one of the most memorable moments of my life for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine being crushed at the last minute. You know, you've done all this prep work and all of a sudden you can't play. And then he steps in one of these great giant pianists and says, Hey, I'll be your partner here. That must have been super cool. But as I read about both you and Paul Badura you're both described as having insightful interpretations, which I experienced in listening to your music. He seemed to be fascinated also by how different instruments sounded, and he made duplicate recordings of pieces on different pianos so that listeners could hear these differences. Did his own curiosity rub off on you? What were the most meaningful musical insights you gleaned from him? Most definitely. And also, thank you for comparing my playing to his. I am so deeply touched. Well, yeah. I mean, it's all out there. And if you listen, you can hear it. That's very sweet. Yes, I had the opportunity to take lessons from him at the Villa Medici Giulini, which is just outside of Milan, and it houses one of the world's largest collections of forte pianos. This place is amazing. Mm -hmm. And because of this, I have a serious love for period instruments. I have a play L Mm -hmm. that one day I will have restored. I would totally be open to re-recording the Chopin Nocturnes on this piano. But I digress. (laughs) You're asking what I learned from him by his love of different instruments. Is that it? Yeah. He has this obvious curiosity about this piece sounds this way on one piano. I play it on another piano. It sounds a different way. It conveys a whole other spectrum of tone. Yeah. So just wondering how that affected you as a musician. That's true. And I think that if you have the opportunity to play on a period instrument, you absolutely should, because it's going to give you a whole other perspective on the sound world that Schubert, for example, was envisioning mm-hmm. that isn't going to sound the same on a grand piano. And it's up to you if you want to emulate the sound of that piano mm-hmm. on a modern day instrument. I'm not saying that is always possible, but it's something to keep in mind. And there's truly a charm and a benefit to working on these instruments if a chance is provided to you. Yeah. And you also had other noteworthy lessons and conversations with pianist Cyprian Katsaris and Andre Gavrilov. Uh, you actually met them in their homes for their lessons. Is there any additional feedback you'd like to relay to our listeners about insights maybe you gleaned from them? Uh, Cyprian Katsaris is incredible. He is a friendly and warm-hearted guy, and I admire his musicianship greatly. Mm-hmm. I came into his home, and I was going to present the famous C minor nocturne. And this is at a point where I had just started the piece. I didn't have it memorized. And I just remember playing the opening. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. And he sat down and he played the opening in four different ways. He showed me four different options of phrasing just one single line. And that really opened up my mind. It's It was mm. such a privilege. Did you feel like he was giving you options or ways to think about it? Ways to think about it. He didn't want to tell me what to do. That's why I think mm. he was giving me these different ideas. He wasn't trying to impose, this is the right way to play Chopin. He just wanted to, I think, loosen me up a little bit and mm-hmm. show me that the options were more limitless than I previously realized, I suppose. That must have been pretty enlightening. It was really cool. 
Well, let's talk about your own recording, The Complete Nocturnes. This is a completely self-produced album. And the crazy thing is that you recorded almost everything. And for all intents and purposes, you did record everything in one day over about 10 hours, which is inconceivable to me. I've spent plenty of time in the studio, and I honestly can't imagine that. So tell us about the project, how it came about, and then tell us about recording day, knocking all of that out in one day. Yes, 10 hours is a little crazy, but I was inspired and it was going well and I just wanted to get it done. Yeah, you were in the zone. I was in the zone, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, so tell us about that. So did you enter the project thinking on recording day that you would actually get it done in one day? Did you have a feeling that was going to happen? No. And I wasn't planning on necessarily recording an album when I started the Chopin Nocturne Project. This was during the quarantine, so I had time to learn a lot of repertoire, and I did. Mm -hmm. Initially, I focused on concerti, and then I think I wanted to go back to my roots. Mm -hmm. Um, Chopin is why I fell in love with the piano, and so I thought, why not the nocturnes? And I said, you know, I bet I could swing it if I posted a video to YouTube every Friday, and I'll go in reverse order. I'll start with the posthumous. That way, I'll have a few weeks to work on the tricky ones, right? This was my logic. No idea of how that would go. And finally, I think, let's see, I'm asking myself how far along into the project I was. Maybe halfway, Mm -hmm. 12 weeks, I said, you know, I would really like to make this into an album and I think I can do this. And a few weeks before I was due to post the final video, I decided to go for it. I had my piano technician come out. He got the piano in perfect order. I set up the microphones and I just went for it. Yeah. And you got a really nice intimate sound. So that was special too. Thank you. You really kind of went for the salon concert sound, right? Am I getting that right? Absolutely. Yes, because that is what Chopin had initially intended for his music. Right. Now, I got the sense when I was listening to the album that And I could be totally wrong. I'm just wondering if I'm right about it. Did you sometimes move from one nocturne to the next? I know that you said somewhere in one of your interviews that you did, on average, three takes per cut. Yes. But I swear I felt like you went from opus 27 number one directly to opus 27 number two. Did you do that? Yes, I did. Or did... I I, I, like, I played through. <laughs> yeah, you played through them, right? Because I yes. thought, no, this, that's got to be sequential. There's no way that you did number one and then did number one again and then did number one again and then number two. It just felt like it went right from number one to two. Thank you. I'm really pleased that you noticed and it means a lot. I, I don't know how you figured that out, but I'm happy that it showed through. Well, that's what I do for a living. That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I write and I spend plenty of time in the recording studio and I just felt it. I don't know what else to say. I just felt that that's what happened. So that's cool because you were in the zone. I thought she is so in the zone. She had to have just kept on going. I just, that's what I felt. <laughs> anyway, that's neat. That's special for me too to hear that. So thank you. So we're going to listen now to two cuts. We're going to listen to Chopin's Nocturne Opus 9 number one, because this is the piece of music that caused you to play in the first place. And then we're going to check out a part of opus number nine, number three in B major. I really had a hard time choosing which pieces to play. Uh, You do have three different albums and I could have done something else, but I really liked B major because I thought your phrasing was really great. And it's also a lesser performed nocturne. And 
I just really liked it. So we're going to listen to those two right now. And before we do, however, I would love to thank our sponsor, Classic Pianos, who makes all of these episodes possible. Let's listen now to Haley Miles.
So what I really loved about those recordings, Haley, was the ambiance. Like I mentioned, I felt I was in the room there with you. I felt that it was a super intimate recording. And I love the intentionality with what you're playing. I've heard a lot of Chopin nocturnes over the years, and sometimes people paint them with a very broad brush. Sometimes people really just go after a broad color scheme, very impressionistic. But I felt that you were super deliberate and super intentional, and I really love that about your performance. Thank you. I love the imagery that you associate with various interpretations. Yeah, well, that's my way of looking at it. Sometimes I listen to someone, I think, oh, that's a really beautiful color scheme, but it doesn't get super specific. And it doesn't even mean that I'm missing the specificity of it. But when I listened to you, I thought, all right, you're owning every single note. Rather than thinking of it as a phrase, at times I felt like each note meant something to you. Wow. I don't know if that's my own hallucination or not, but that's just kind of how it felt. It felt like each note meant something to you. For sure. Of course, I agree. I think that everyone has a composer that they really relate to. Yeah. For me, of course, there are many composers who I love and appreciate, but I feel a special connection to Schubert as well as, of course, Chopin. Yeah. And often when I encounter his works, I already have an idea of what I want to communicate. And I can be quite inflexible about this. I know what I want. Mm. I know the sound that I want to produce. And I have my own strong ideas about playing. Yeah. I'm not saying there's an ultimate truth to a way of playing a piece, but I do have my own belief, I suppose, of how... Your own convictions. Yes, I do. Yeah, it's like having a vision for something and and wanting to achieve that. And the only way to do that is to do it that way, right? Otherwise, you don't get the vision that you created inside. So I totally get that. Plus, you have had some pretty good input along the way, I have to say. That's true. Can't complain. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to cover some of the other important projects to you. You have been collaborating with some contemporary composers, and you've got a YouTube channel that has some really wonderful videos and music. You want to tell us about that, how that came about, how you met the composers, that kind of thing? Absolutely. This is just one of those things that happened by chance. A composer reached out to me on social media. I collaborated with him a few times. And I thought to myself, you know, there might be something here. And I decided to share my profile on various social media pages. There are several Facebook pages for contemporary composers. And eventually I got this project, let's say, up and running. And I have composers reach out to me with their works. Sometimes they're asking for a second opinion. They ask me to proof play them before recording. And Mm. it's truly a collaboration. It's a lot of fun. That's super interesting. So are you candid in your feedback? How does that come about? I suppose each one's different. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Each composer is a little different. And of course, these compositions are a little bit like they're babies. Mm-hmm. They've been nurturing them. They've been with them for a long time, bringing them to life. And so you have to be gentle. But of course, I try to be candid and I'll make suggestions if there's a passage that I feel is unnecessarily tricky and could be made a bit simpler without losing the effect. I'll mention that. Mm-hmm. Those are the biggest issues, I would say, when I'm proof playing a piece. Yeah, people, especially with compositions, people really invest their heart into it and talk about every note meaning something. It's like, I wrote that note. That note is so intentionally like, well, but, you know, I hope that's that got to be like it. that. But yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. I just mean it's a little precarious, but I think it's a really interesting YouTube channel. I did check out every single one of those. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what in the world am I going to play. It was really hard, but I found that very interesting, and I thought it was a neat idea for both you and also the composers. I thought it was very cool that you were giving exposure to the composers that way. So you also have invested your talents in individuals on the autistic spectrum. And I was curious how this came about, why it's important to you, and if you can talk about all that's important to that end as well. Absolutely. Both of my parents worked in the field of autism. Hmm. Mm -hmm. My mom was a researcher and she has written literally hundreds of books and articles about autism. Gotcha. She is incredible. And my dad happened to open up a publishing company for books on autism. Mm. A perfect match, right? Yeah. Uh, So as a child, when my mom would work with families who had an autistic child, I would be spending time with that child. And Mm. I realized that oftentimes some children on the autism spectrum may not understand certain social cues that we take for granted. Yep. So this is why I wrote a book just detailing everyday situations in school, at home, when you're traveling, and how you should respond to such situations. Hmm. What is the title of the book? Uh, There are two editions. The first one was Practical Solutions for Everyday Challenges for Children with Asperger's Syndrome, which obviously I did not come up with that title. Although it definitely summarizes what it's about. Yeah. And the second edition is part of the Hidden Curriculum series. And actually the title does not come to mind. I apologize. No sweat. No, I understand. And so was this an interest that resurfaced later? Was it something that was of interest to you in real time growing up or later on it became more meaningful to you? No, I would say that it was meaningful in real time. Mm. Absolutely. That's super cool. Well, that's beautiful. So you just came up with a marketing for musicians course. A lot of times people, they come through school, they get their training and they feel as long as I'm a great player, that should take care of everything, but that doesn't take care of everything. So you invented this course taken from your own experience, I'm sure as well. But tell us why you wrote the Marketing for Musicians course and what you hope to accomplish with it and anything else you think is important. You really hit the nail on the head. I was so lucky to study at amazing schools with inspiring teachers. But at the end of the day, I had no idea what to do with my skill set. And I felt like once I graduated, I was thrust into this world. I had no experience marketing myself or even talking about money. Mm-hmm. And I made mistakes on the way and I figured things out for myself. And I thought, what if I could help somebody who was previously in my position, if I can help them navigate these awkward steps to building a professional career, whatever you want it to look like? Yeah. Yeah. And what are some of those steps? What do you think are key things that most people are missing? A solid online presence, which sounds Mm -hmm. perhaps really obvious, but I am surprised by the number of talented and hardworking musicians who do not have their own website. I think it's really important. You don't need anything too fancy, right? You can go onto Squarespace, make it yourself. There are inexpensive monthly plans. Post a few videos of your playing Mm -hmm. and get yourself out there. Yeah. 
So I go into a little bit more detail in my course. Of course. I even mentioned color schemes and creating a logo that reflects who you are and Mm -hmm. how to write an intriguing biography because these are how people are going to get to know you. It sounds materialistic and that's not what we want to be as musicians, but it is an essential part of our world and we have to learn how to be okay with that. Yeah. You need a hook like a strong chorus, right? Absolutely. Something to draw people in. And I think today engagement is super important. So as you say, putting your videos out there, something that someone can share with someone else, something that someone can like, all that kind of stuff, the personal engagement. People want to get a sense of knowing somebody. Yes, I agree. When I got done with school myself, I thought, well, as long as I accomplish XYZ as a pianist or as a writer, everything should work out just fine. But then you're done with school and you have no money and you're thinking to yourself, what do I do? Yeah. It's really scary when you're first getting started. It is, but there's hope, right? Most definitely. That's why I created the course. Yeah. Cool. And is there anything else about anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Ooh, I'm really happy with all of the topics that you mentioned. How about your performance schedule? Do you have a sense of when you're going to reemerge after your U.S. tour? That is an excellent question. Thank you. Yes, I did just finish a U.S. tour last month. That was a lot of fun. I went to five different cities in two weeks, which sounds like a lot of time, but when you're doing driving in between cities... It goes by pretty fast. Yeah. I had really missed performing. I had performed back in September with orchestra. Then I had this long break. So it felt really good to be back on stage again. What did you play with the orchestra? Chopin 2. That must have been so fun. It was. And do you have any finite plans for any other performances even in your area? So you're living in France, right? You want to tell us about that? Sure. I'm living just outside of Lyon and I've been here for about three years now. And yes, absolutely. I am reaching out to festivals in France and we will see. I know this sounds really ambiguous, but this is how I get dates. And this is why I created the Marketing for Musicians course. Yeah, It's okay to reach out to people and introduce yourselves and opportunities will eventually appear if you do these things. And they won't appear unless you do them. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. So how can people find out about you? What is your website? What's your YouTube channel? All that stuff. You can Google me, Haley Miles, H-A-L-E-Y-M-Y-L-E-S, and everything will come up. That sounds good. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Haley. It has been quite a pleasure speaking with you and exploring your music. I really appreciate the time you took to chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I had a lot of fun. Oh, I'm glad. It's my pleasure. And thank you to listeners. I hope you know how grateful I am for you. Uh, Thanks for your patience in waiting for this episode. I look forward to bringing you the next episode much sooner than later. But until then, enjoy and take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And thanks again to our sponsor, Classic Pianos, who makes these ongoing podcasts possible. To learn more about Piano Whisperer and to hear earlier broadcasts, please visit pianowhisperer.org. We would be grateful if you would take a minute to rate and review us on whatever platform you use, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Podbeam, and TuneIn. See you next time.